Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, how to grow your organizational and productivity practice, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. With every episode, we're going to learn from subject matter experts who can help you build your business in areas like marketing, HR, and finance. We'll also introduce you to business owners who are out there just like you are, and we'll learn from their successes and challenges. Please welcome your host, professional organizer, Sarah Karakayan. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Stand Out, growing your organizing and productivity business podcast. My name is Sarah Karakayan, professional organizer and your host. We're in this business because we love to help people, right? We love organizing, we love productivity, and we love helping our clients reach their goals. But what we may not love is the sales aspect of it all, the networking, the understanding and conquering of social media, and maybe even a little self-promotion. But our guest today might be able to help us with all of that. David J.P. Fisher, also known as D. Fish, is a speaker, coach, and author of seven books, including the best-selling Hyper-Connected Selling and Networking in the 21st Century, Why Your Network Sucks and What to Do About It. Building on 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur and sales professional, he combines nuanced strategy and real-world tactics to help professionals become more effective, efficient, and happy. David's goal is to help them understand the new landscape of hyper-connected selling, where social media, networking, and old-school sales and communication skills are the key to providing value and staying relevant. Fish is also the host of the Beer, Beats, and Business podcast. He lives in Evanston, Illinois, next to a huge cemetery, which helps him appreciate the value of every day. Uh, Fish, can I call you Fish? Absolutely. Welcome to Stand Out. I am excited to be here. Let's rock. Yeah. So I want to start at the beginning with you. When you started your career, what got you to this point where you are now? Help our listeners find out a little bit more about you. Yeah, sure. I uh, actually got started in the business world. I was uh, a student here in Evanston at Northwestern University, and I actually got a uh, a sales gig to pay my way through school, uh, working with a company called Cutco, which many people are probably familiar with. It's direct sales of kitchen knives. So uh, okay. I, I, used, I used to sit in uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones's kitchen and uh, hawk really, really good very expensive cutlery, but uh, <laughs> kind of a kind of a weird job, uh, slinging blades. But uh, it was an amazing opportunity to get some some very hands on uh, experience at a very young age in sales. Uh, I actually ran the Chicago office for them after I graduated, and uh, was in charge of running a sales company at, at 22. I was running a half a million dollar dollar a year sales company. Uh, didn't really know what I was doing. Had to kind of learn <laughs> on the job. Right. But uh, it was an amazing opportunity. I, I interviewed over 10,000 people. I had a chance to train over 1,500 sales representatives. Um, and it really just gave me a, a, a crash course in being an entrepreneur, being a salesperson, and uh, really gave me some experiences that i probably wouldn't have usually had the opportunity to get until much later in my life. Uh, and so I, I kind of just started in the business world with a bang. I love that. And then how did you get into what you're doing now? Yeah. So I did that for uh, a Cutco for about five years and worked for a, a large security company, Brinks, which you might've heard of. Uh-huh. Uh, I was their sales manager here in Chicago for a year. Realized that uh, I loved selling and I love selling people on themselves and their potential and then started Rockstar Consulting right after that. So we've been going strong for uh, over 12 years now. Very cool. I, I, you kind of already were in the, you know, you're talking to a bunch of professional organizers here who often work in the home and you yep. got started in going into homes and talking to homeowners. So you totally kind of get the environment that we're in all the time. Absolutely. And you get the, uh, the, <laughs> the adventure because you never know what's going to be yeah. there when you uh, open the door, right? Isn't that right? Yes. <laughs> And, and you shared with me before we um, hopped on here that you actually have spoken at a previous NAPO event. Yeah, I got a chance. Uh, this was a, a few years back to, to speak to one of the local Chicago area chapters. So that was a, a lot of fun. I, I felt very disorganized uh. in the group. <laughs> no, we don't want to make you feel were, that way. They were awesome. No, it was, it was an awesome event and really cool people. 
That's great. Did you also speak to them about your uh, your skill set with sales and networking and that whole that whole world? I did. I did. Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, this is a perennial challenge for, yes. for all professionals, right? Yes. So then, can you help us understand why the word sales has such a negative connotation? One of the biggest challenges that we have, I think, in in really embracing selling is that too many of us are holding on to an old model. Um, and it's a model that came up really in the second half of the 20th century. And it really came about in a world where a seller knew more than a buyer, right? Where uh-huh. when we were sell- being sold to, there was a very good chance that the, the salesperson knew more than we did. And in that environment, there's not a lot of trust. There's not a lot of... Um, I guess, uh, comfort in the process. To this day, I use the example of getting your car fixed. Uh, I don't know how an internal combustion engine works. So when I go to the mechanic uh, and he he says, okay, you're going to have to spend $400 for a transmission defibrillator uh, (laughs) conjunction belt. I have to go, uh, okay, sure. I don't, you know, I just have to assume that that's what I need. That's what it costs. Everything's fair. Now, it used to be that we had to be in that kind of environment all the time when we were buying. And it's just very challenging for us to have trust in that environment, especially when there were so many people that uh, would take advantage of us. Now flip the script and go, well, I'm going to have to go and do this. I'm going to have to go sell. Well, I've got this really bad feeling about selling in my gut and I don't want to have other people perceive me that way. So gosh, I'm just not going to sell at all. Right, I'm just not going to even try to do that because I don't want to be lumped in with those the the, the hucksters and the silver tongued sales people who are just trying to to get one over on me. And that's you know again just one negative experience really um, ruins it for a person, and then it they just carry that on through the rest of their life. And so that's a very long answer, but I think that really encapsulates yes. why so many of us really struggle emotionally and mentally with with selling because then it doesn't matter if you have the best sales you know tactics or the best process if emotionally you're not uh ready to step forward and, and ask somebody for example hey do you want to hire me right do you want to do you want me to come in and actually do some organizing again it doesn't matter how good your approach is if you human beings don't like to be emotionally incongruent right so we don't want to think of ourselves as a negative person and so we just don't do it right it's and it's you get that icky feeling sometimes because I think of that that connotation that's already kind of in place and mm-hmm. and even if so you know as entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and a lot of our list as a lot of our listeners are we love organizing we love helping people reach their goals being more productive that's not the problem we love what we're quote unquote selling but so then why do we still have a problem with communicating that love and and like I guess promoting what we do and how we can maybe help the person we're speaking to. One of the big challenges I think people run into is that they still feel that selling is something you do to someone uh-huh. versus for someone. And it's really interesting. If you ever get a chance to sit down with, with a top salesperson, somebody who's been in the sales world for a long time, has been very successful, they never think of it as something they're doing in spite of their prospect or customer, or again, they're, they're doing to it. In fact, they go, my job is to help. My job is to be the the person who provides the solution, just like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it's just reframing it in your mind that, no, I'm not forcing somebody to buy my services and and achieve their goals. I'm actually working in service of them. And that simple switch can often uh, really create some great results because now we're selling for the people. And so, of course, we're going to say, hey, do you want to work together? Because I'm trying to help you. Right. Right. So it's as simple as, as, as rethinking or repositioning our mindset that we're just, we're continuing that whole uh, aspect of just being helpers. You know, we like to help our clients. That's the business that we're in is to improve their lives. And I guess that starts even before we come to their home or their office or wherever. It starts with the very first conversation. Exactly. No, no doctor walks into their patient's room and tries to sell them on taking, you know, uh, medicine or goes, Hey, you have a broken leg. I'm going to try to sell you on why we should set it and put it in fast. <laughs> right. They're like, right. No problem. Let me help. I, I have some skills. I can help you fix that problem. Right. Right. 
and so I think, again, it, that framework we carry in our mind is the first place that we have to st start. And it's, it's really where a lot of the challenges, especially for um, organizers, productivity people, and, and really just all solopreneurs, that's really where a lot of the challenge lies in between their ears. Right. Now, I was doing a lot of research on you and, uh -oh. it, uh, and no, it's good. I, I had okay. spent like an hour, an hour and a half, like on your website and then your YouTube videos, because you share such great information that as a, as a, you know, a entrepreneur, it's really good to hear from someone who already has all that experience to back up what they're sharing. But you kept saying, you know, on your website and your different platforms that to find long lasting success, we must act as sales Sherpas. So can you explain more about what that means? Absolutely. That's, uh, that's my fun little TM. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right? You get sales Sherpa, Sherpa yes. TM, then you know it's got to be right. Yeah. Uh, the, the sales Sherpa concept is uh, something I talked a lot about in my latest book, Hyperconnected Selling. And it really is, is kind of the culmination of a, lot of, of a lot of the work that I've been doing the last decade or so. And really realizing that because uh, the environment we're in is one that is information saturated, right? I mentioned before where it used to be that the, the sellers had the information, the buyers didn't. Now I can go as a buyer to my, to my phone and look up anything, right? I have, in fact, too much information at my disposal. What I really think uh, a successful salesperson, and in this case, you know, all of your listeners are salespeople, whether it's we're selling our services, our ideas, whatever it is, instead of thinking that we have to be the information provider, what we really should look at being is the translator of that information into a better buying decision. Meaning, helping people, guiding people through the process of making a decision going, hey, there's all this information about, let, let's be really specific. There's all these different ways of, of organizing your, uh, your inbox, right? Your, your digital world, right? right. And there's a right. lot of different blogs and, and websites and software programs. Okay, you can go and just spend hours researching all that. But I'm gonna position myself as the expert who knows all of that uh, information so that I can help you walk through the process of deciding which step you're going to take. And so that's why I call it being a sales Sherpa, like you're guiding somebody up the mountain of their decision. You know the, the pitfalls, you know where the uh, handholds are, you know how to walk somebody through that. They're still going to be on their own journey, but you're going to make it more effective, faster, and hopefully get them to a better endpoint. Now, I'm going to use a personal example here because it's just easier for me to do that. Yeah. But often I feel when someone asks me about that, I don't want to assume that I am, and this is probably a flaw of mine as, as a business owner, but I don't want to assume that I am the answer to their problem. I would love to be, but I want them to decide on their own that I am. So while I'm guiding them, I feel like sometimes, and I think a lot of us do this, we, we kind of give the excuse like, well, here's all the information I have for you because this is an industry I know and love very well. But if I'm not the one for you, that's totally fine. Well, how do you feel about that? Like, should we be more direct that yes, we could be the answer to all of your problems or, or how do we handle that? That's a really good question. And I love where you're, you're taking that. And I would say what you're doing is absolutely the way, the direction to take, but with one little asterisk, there's nothing wrong with saying, I may, there's all this information. I may not be the right solution, but I also might be the right solution, right? right? It's, I think selling with integrity is really about saying to somebody, Hey, we're not, I'm not the right fit for you. I'm, I'm not the, the person who's going to be able to, to get you where you need to go, but let me recommend you to, you know, somebody else who I know who could be because it also lets you with confidence and conviction look somebody in the eye and go, what you're talking about, you should, this is what I do, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I used to, to give an example from my past when I was selling knives, you know, I, would, I sold a lot of knives. Um, <laughs> and one of the reasons why is because I felt very confident telling somebody, hey, you should buy the whole set. But I also felt very confident saying, you just told me you don't cook a lot. If you buy the whole set, that'd be foolish. But let me show you the two knives you really need. Right. And I could say that with, with conviction because I knew I was being, again, I had integrity with what I was saying. So I absolutely think that it's relevant for you to, to admit that you may or may not be the solution to somebody's problem. But I do think you can say, hey, I am an expert in this area, in this field, I know the solutions. I can have a good conversation with you. 
And based on that, then we can figure out, should you go somewhere else? Should you work with us? You know, what are your different options? Right. Right. Oh, that's such good insight because I know that I'm like teetering on being helpful and honest, but I also don't want to not sell myself and have someone, well, that, you know, I don't want the person to say, well, this woman doesn't feel very confident that she could answer my question or my problem. So I don't want to work with her. You know, there's that fine line. And I always try to find that, that right balance so that I'm, I have integrity, but I'm also trying to be as honest as I can. So that's very helpful. Yeah. You know, one of the things I do, um, is, is business coaching, right? So sometimes I'll have business owners come to me and, you know, they'll want to talk about, you know, if I can help. And one of the things I say, you know, right up front, I go, tell me what you're working on. Tell me what your challenges are. I'll tell you what I do. And then we'll see if it's a fit. And if it is, I'll say, Hey, you know, I'll ask if you want to work with me. And if right. it's not totally okay, right. I'll be able to give you some insights into maybe some other options that would be more effective for you. Right. And, and it, because I say that, again, I'm going to have complete conviction looking somebody in the, in the eye saying, yes, I can help you. We should work together. And also, I'm very comfortable saying, nope, I'm not the right fit. You, you know, I can't help you the way you need, but let's get you to somebody who can. Right. Right. And that's key too, being able to then reach out to your network of people that you already connected to within, within the industry and maybe give them the appropriate client that wasn't the right fit for you. Exactly. Exactly. Now you mentioned that the uh, ability to build relationships on a human level is key to influence. How do we do that without feeling overwhelmed or going to a networking event every single night? Or, you know, like how do we build those human level connections when if, if you are already comfortable with social media and you feel like you can, you can reach a large audience, how do we do that on a human level where it's actually going to make a difference in um, the future of our business? Great question. We got a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> sure. so there's, there's a couple questions in there. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I want to pull out because I think they're really relevant. Um, looking at something like social media or networking, um, one of the, the things that we have to understand is that human beings are really only wired, um, and there's the science behind this is something called Dunbar's number. We're only wired to maintain about 150 human connections at any time, right? That's really the, the, what our brain can handle. And so if you try to think about networking and relationship building on a professional basis as trying to be best friends with all 1,000 of your LinkedIn connections or 5,000 of your Twitter followers, you're going right. to fail, right? That's, our brains just literally can't do that. Right. Um, but when you think about building long-term relationships, what I suggest to people is using tools like, let's say, a networking event. Right. Do you, to have a big network, you don't have to go to a networking event every night. That would be. Uh, I write books on this stuff, and that would drive me insane. Um, <laughs> but you can use those as opportunities to make first contact with with people, and you know. That, that business car exchange can be so valuable because then you have somebody that you can follow up with, right? I, I use the analogy of um, networking events are kind of like singles bars, right? You don't go to a singles bar to marry somebody. You go to there to meet somebody who maybe you'll go on a date with, and then maybe you'll decide to marry down the line. Right. So in the same way, if you look at something like, again, a, a chamber of commerce event or an association event or some of the digital platforms like LinkedIn or Facebook, you look at those as places to, to start the relationship. But then when you've identified people you want to have a, a stronger or closer tie to, then you can reach out and say, hey, let's grab that cup of coffee. Let's grab a phone call. Let's get to know each other on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And maybe there's an opportunity to work together right away. And if not, that's okay. You've, you've built a, the, the nucleus of a relationship. Then you can kind of go back to things like social media and digital tools and kind of maintain that relationship on a, a slow burn, right? Mm -hmm. And um, then in the future, when you have a need or they have a need, you can kind of build it back up. Um, the other science in this area is uh, relationship uh, and networking uh, st statistics. There's a great uh, study by a guy named um, Mark Granovetter who wrote The Strength of Weak Ties. Uh, it's the most cited paper ever in sociology. And what he found is that most of us find uh, work, uh, which you can extrapolate into other things, I think, as uh, well. He found that most people find work through people they don't know well, 
right? It's right. not through your best friend. It's through the person that you do run into at a, a NAPO event every couple months, right? Because those people are in different uh, pools of information. And so I think when you look at building relationships, we do want to find ways to kind of build strong relationships with people when we have the opportunity, but also then being okay with letting them go back into the background, but still using tools like digital communication or uh, kind of the larger events to kind of have those light touches over time to maintain the, the contact. So then maybe it's a year or two or three down the line when you can actually work together. Right. So it's a, it's a long-term investment. You might go to that networking event and then two or three years down the road, that person you've been light touching over those, that period of time, then they might become a key connection for your business. Is that what you're saying? That, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And I love that. You got to plant seeds. You got to cultivate them. Some, so, there's nothing wrong with trying to get something done quickly, but a lot of the, the work, I think, especially in the, the solopreneur space, especially us as small business owners, uh, it comes when the person needs us, right? We can't force them to be like, you need some, uh, you need some organizing right now. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to being, hey, let me make sure you know what I do. So then when you have a need, I'm the person that you call. Right. Right. So explain to me then why, now I consider myself to be an extrovert. I don't have any problem in public settings, public speaking, any of those sorts of things. But why do I hate networking? Why do I go, even though I know everyone there, everyone there is there for the exact same purpose I am to meet each other and to see if there's some sort of chemistry or connection that we can help each other out. We all know why we're there, yet I still hate doing it. Why? Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I mean, not that we have to put you on the couch and, and ask you, right. you, know, you know, dive into psychology uh, here. Yeah, I, but I think you, you're really touching on a very common challenge. And I, and, and, uh, I know this is common because I face it. Trust me. I, again, I do this for a living and I don't work, walk into networking events go, woo, I can't wait to go talk to 20 people. <laughs> right. I, I think part of it actually just stems from a very normal human reaction to having to go out and reach out to, to new people or even people, if you kind of know them, you just don't know where the conversation is going to go. It takes energy. And I think sometimes you just go, oh man, I got to kind of psych myself up, you know, for all of these conversations I'm about to have. Sure. Um, so, it, it, and I think, so I think that's part of it. There again, is a very uh, human interaction piece that it just takes a lot of energy. I think this, the other piece that really um, creates struggle for a lot of us is we do think we have to get something from it right away, right? We're, we go into that room going, oh, I've got to make something happen. I've got to get some clients. I've got to go find some vendors. I got to you know, do this, that, or the other. That's a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things that, that I've done, and I tell people, I, if you I don't know if I agree with the whole introvert extrovert thing. That's a whole nother conversation. Okay. But, but I would fall on the introvert side. I, I say I'm an introvert with highly developed social skills. Um, so I don't necessarily walk into a big conference uh, reception and go, awesome. I get to go meet a bunch of strangers today, but I do have a lot of fun with it and go, okay, cool. I'm just gonna have a good time. I take all the pressure off. You know, my goal is just to say hi to five people. That's all I have. And whatever happens after saying hi, doesn't matter. And it just takes a lot of that stress off. And then I get to have fun. And then I have better conversations with people. And lo and behold, good stuff comes from it. Any other great networking tips? I love that you give yourself the goal of saying, just saying hello. That's something very simple. And uh, it's a goal that we can all reach to saying hello to five people. Is there anything else that you can share with us that will help us in a situation, especially if we're solopreneurs and we're going to that event alone? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Take a friend. There's nothing wrong with that. Take a friend. Make sure okay. that you don't hang out with that friend the whole time, right? By right. the hors d'oeuvres. Right. <laughs> One, it's a very simple tactic. It does take a little bit of uh, practice and you got to be um, diligent about this. Um, One of the biggest things you can do if you want to get better at networking is learn to ask questions and good questions and not talk about yourself. So one of the other things that can be really challenging is we walk into a room full of people and we go, oh, I'm going to have to be fascinating and interesting and make people like me. That, that's exhausting, right? That's the first day of school effect where you're like, well, will all the other kids like me? 
Instead, pick two or three questions that you like to ask. And when you start a conversation, put the focus on that person. I, I sometimes give myself the challenge of saying as little about myself at a networking event as possible, yeah. which may sound counterintuitive, but if you put all the focus on another person, guess what? They like that. They, they, we all want some attention and that's how you build that bond. And then reciprocity in relationships means what is very natural is it'll go, oh, you know what? I've been talking about myself for the last 10 minutes. What, what, tell me about your business. Tell me about what you do. Um, and that's a wonderful place to be where now they're trying to pull that information out from you. So just asking, hey, what brought you to the event today? Or you know, how, how long have you been in your business? What's, what's exciting in your world? You know, what do you like most about being a, a professional organizer? Or you know, what are some of the, the fun things you've got working on this year? Again, make it about them. I call it asking the next question. Ask them a question. And then when they answer it, instead of you responding with a statement for yourself, ask another question. You know, why, why did you come here today? And they give you an answer. It's very natural for us to then want to say why we came. Right. But instead, get rid of that impulse and just ask them a question based on their answer. And you, that's, that's how you make friends anywhere. I, I, again, I, I don't necessarily like going to huge events where I don't know anybody, but uh, I'm pretty good at going to like a party. My wife laughs because if we go to a party, I will make friends with somebody and like <laughs> learn everything about them. You know, we're just sitting in the kitchen getting a drink and all of a sudden I'm, I know about their family and their kids and you know what they do for a job. And it's just because I kept asking really interesting questions. And that's, that I think is a super powerful uh, way of making networking a little more comfortable and getting a lot more from it. Right. And those are, those are, I love those. Those are both great tips that I mean, I feel like I can implement at my next event that I'm going to say hello to five people and make it as little about me as possible. Great. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Our job here is done. It's been great. Our job here is done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And good night. Out. Right. No. And I, and, you know, and I talked to a lot of people who I am now good friends with and we'll go to sometimes to networking events together and we both feel that pressure. And I, I love how you're saying, take that pressure off of you. This is just, you don't have to find your best friend or your next business partner. You're just going to go make some light connections that maybe you can build up over the next few years. And that already, to me, feels so much better. And I know that listeners, um, some of them have the same exact concerns that I do. So that's really helpful. Good. Yeah. So I want to, is that related at all then to your book, Hyperconnected Selling? Because I love the title and it feels very <laughs> powerful. Uh, can you explain what that book's about and, and how we can relate it to professional organizers and productivity consultants? Yeah. So it really is kind of the, the extension of this you know, idea of networking relationship building we're talking about. And so now if we really think about how do we bring in business, how do we sell we, we have to take all of that into account, but then also layer on this idea of the digital world of, you know, a personal brand as as you even mentioned, this is our first conversation ever, but you spent a bunch of time finding out about me. You've, you know what I think, what I write, you've seen me speak, right? Yes. Watching videos. So how do, you know, the, the book really is looking at how do we encapsulate all of that into, uh, into selling and into being a professional who can, be relevant in a day where technology is taking over a lot of the different aspects of our business life. Um, you know, and, and what's, what are the, the best places to put our time and attention? And so that's, for example, where I first addressed that, the sales Sherpa uh, concept. I also talk about the sales matrix, how it's very rarely a linear sales process. Um, you know, it, back in the day, if you were an organizer, you would hopefully call a bunch of uh, people or companies and say, do you have an organizing problem? No. Okay. Bye. Do you have an organizing problem? No. Bye. Do you have an organizing problem? Oh, you do. Cool. Can I come and pitch you? And you try to sell them. Whereas now I really think it is a lot more amorphous and it is not a linear process. That's why I call it a, a matrix where there's a lot of different influences. There's a lot of different uh, sources of information. Uh, and we have to take all this into account. So I, I think the, the real takeaways that I try to uh, put in the book are one, the things we've already talked about, building relationships, having light connections. One thing that I think is really important for um, a lot of the, the listeners here is making sure that you do have an online um, brand, an online presence, because we do live in a digital forward world. 
Um, you know, I've done a lot of work through the years. I actually wrote a book on it uh, around LinkedIn and using LinkedIn to, to share your brand. And the reason why is because if I meet anybody, I look them up, right? And I, I, look, I look them up before the meeting. What is their background? What are the, what's their approach? What are they telling me? And you have to think if somebody's going to like your LinkedIn profile, going to your website, finding you on Twitter, you know, would you do business with you if you found right. yourself? And if the answer is no, um, you've got to fix that. Because again, I don't think people are going to buy or not buy based solely on that digital presence. But my friend Ryan Roten calls it living in a, in a digital forward world, where that is still probably one of the first places that we have interaction with a person. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sets the frame, the context with which they're going to engage with us. So putting that into place and then making sure that you've got the, the face-to-face, the offline communication skills to back that up uh, are really kind of what, what the book's about and, and how to put that into, your, into practice on a, on a day-to-day basis. And that's so important. That it, business and just life in general is changing so rapidly now because of technology. I know a lot of people feel like they can't keep up and they can't catch up with it to make their business stay, as you say, relevant. So a book like that seems to be a really important um, key to being able to figure out how to stay relevant, what, what can work for us, what works for others. That's an easy way for us to um, stay connected because it's changing so fast. Very true. Although I would also say, even though the technology is changing quickly, um, uh-huh. human beings aren't, right? So right. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the face-to-face interaction um, you know, I, I do think, you know, it's digital communication is super powerful. It does some really cool things, but it also doesn't replace the ability to look somebody in the eye and actually have a conversation with them. Like our brains are wired for that. The research is in, um, you're never going to replace that. So I think the best thing to do is simply look at ways that you can integrate technology into the, the relationships you already have. It's not a replacement for but a way to actually um, accentuate and sometimes accelerate the the relationships you already have. Right. And I'm sure that goes both ways. You don't want to just have, like you said, you have to have that online presence because after you hear about a business, you're probably going to go online and research them before you contact them. But that's also not to be said for the people who are relying solely on social media or online technology to, to reach out to people. Um, I'm sure it goes both ways. There's there's a balance yep. to what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely, it, absolutely. You've got to you have both. And I think, in fact, if you look at your strongest professional relationships and also personal relationships, they bridge the offline and online world, right? You know, right. you do have your friends who, hey, we hang out on the weekend, but then I look at pictures that they posted on Facebook, or you know, we connected on Twitter, or we texted. Right. So you have those tools or then you, you jumped on a Zoom meeting. Right. 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 And so it, it's all of these different ways of communication. And, and we've got to find ways to put them all into place um, in the appropriate manner within our, our relationships. Right. Okay. So I want to talk to you and, and clarify the meaning of a personal brand. But before we do that, <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break to get a, a, a quick message from NAPO. So we'll be right back. The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals invites you to become a certified professional organizer. CPOs have proven industry proficiency by demonstrating they possess the body of knowledge and experience essential to professional organizing and productivity consulting. The CPO credential identifies professional organizers who've documented a specific number of paid hours that include transferring organizing skills to a client and have also passed the Board of Certification for Professional Organizers Examination. The credential provides the organizing and productivity industry a way to elevate its professional standards. Visit napo.net to learn more. Okay, we are back. I have David J.P. Fisher, also known as D. Fish, who is teaching us and sharing with us how to stay uh, balanced almost in this world of digital um, online presence and also that personal human connection and how they're both really important today. And you mentioned before we took a break of this this thing about uh, a personal brand. 
does, are you talking about logos and business colors or what do you mean when you say a personal <laughs> brand? <laughs> uh, I, I guess a little bit, but not really, because I am not graphically oriented at all. So I don't want to <laughs> pretend that, that I am. What, what I think about, and, and personal brand is this concept, it's kind of a buzzword, but it's, you know, some, if you get 10 people in a room who say they're personal brand experts, you'll get 11 different definitions of it. But what I really think it comes down to is how do other people view you? Uh, it's, it's that simple. We've always had a personal brand. Um, it's just now in a world of communication, uh, digital communication and connectivity, it's just much more out there, right? Even before technology, you know, you'd get together and you'd all be talking about a, a common friend and you're like, oh, that person's always late. That was their brand, right? <laughs> right, yes. Um, and so what I think though now, what I think is driving the, this idea of personal brand is because we have things, like we were just talking about LinkedIn before the break or, or your online presence. What's happening is there are more avenues which we can use to share the brand and which other people are using to consume our brand and find out information about us. But also um, because the world is very uh, noisy, because there is such a large amount of information, people aren't spending as much time thinking about us. They, they never really spent a lot of time thinking about us, but now it's even less. So we just have maybe that one opportunity where somebody's looking at their, the, the LinkedIn profile and making a decision. They're going to our website and they're making a decision. Should I interact with this person? Should I engage or not? And so I think because we have such a narrow window, it becomes more imperative that we actually spend some time thinking, how are people going to view me? And that's really what the personal brand is. What, what, what are the most important aspects of my multifaceted personality? That What is it that people actually need to know about me to make a decision? So in a business context, it could be what do they need to know about me so that they'll want to engage my services or at least reach out to possibly engage my services. You know, on a personal level, it'd be like, you know, what do, if you were single and you're on a dating site, right? You have a brand, you know, what would people uh, need to know for them to engage me and possibly go on a date with me? Uh, that's how I view personal brand. And that's why I think it's so, so relevant right now. How do we, do we separate personal brand from our business brand? Are they very much integrated? I think, and this is an opinion, right? We could probably find somebody with a different one. Okay. My, my opinion is that they're always going to be connected um, because, and again, this is an opinion, but you don't go to, to work and become a different person, right? And if you have that ability, that's really impressive. <laughs> you might be a sociopath. Um, right. But I mean, we're not Superman, right? We don't walk into you know, a phone booth, Clark Kent, and come out Superman. So they're always going to have some relationship to each other. I do think if you really look at, um, like let's say a solopreneur or just a one or two person business, like, like your, yourself, your personal brand, who you are, is very wrapped up in who you are as a professional, right? They're sure. connected. You can't, sure. you can't separate them. What I do think the, the, the difference though is comes about in what you focus on. So an example that I, that I use is uh, I am a part-time Zumba instructor right? Which is just a wacky thing. Like nobody in their right mind would guess that I teach uh, <laughs> Latin-based aerobics on the weekends. Cause you know, hey, I, I'm like, Hey, I got to stay fit anyways. I'm going to go to the gym. Why not, you know, learn how to teach it, have some fun, get paid. Right. You'll never find that on my LinkedIn profile. It's not because I'm ashamed of it or I don't think it's cool. I think it's awesome. But if somebody's going to engage me as a business coach, as a um, a speaker for their conference, that's not relevant, right? So right. instead, I'm going to focus on the things that about me and about my business that are relevant. D does, that, does that make sense? I, yes, it very much does. Yes. Yes. So, so yeah, so that's, and as you get bigger and bigger as an organization, you can kind of maybe start to have a little more division between the two, but they're always going to be connected. They're always going to be tangential to each other. Well, I think it goes back to what you said earlier that stuck in my head is would I do business with me or would I continue the conversation with me if I were to look at my online presence and, you know, being a Zumba instructor, like you said, doesn't really, uh, uh, I guess for the conversation, if I have nothing to do with the fitness industry, you know, That's so exactly right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Right. You might get that one person who may or may not also be really into Zumba. So that's great. Then you have a connection, but that might be something you find out when you are, like you said, you're doing your light touches throughout time and, and you get to know the person a little bit more. Exactly. It's, it, it's the natural progression of, of the relationship. Right. right, right. And, and I've definitely had those conversations where I'm talking to a client and it just comes up that I teach Zoom and they're like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's cool. I love Zoom. Right. And it, cool. That, that takes the, the relationship a little farther, but that's not where we're starting from. Right. Right. That and, makes and total I, sense. And so that's when people are thinking about what their brand is. Again, think about what your prospect, your customer, the people you're doing business with, what do they need to know about you? And, and really share those aspects of your brand um, in a professional space. Right. So I want to talk about to the other side of, of, of sales that, that online, I know a lot of people who kind of set it and forget it, right? Like they create their LinkedIn profile and they don't go back for, for a long time or they're on <laughs> Twitter and they might right. like tweet out like automatically from a blog post they get out, you know, once a month. And I really want to touch on that real quick because I think you know, I'm, I'm 35. I always forget how old I am. And, uh, so <laughs> Facebook came out when I was in college. So I kind of, before I got into my professional life, social media has kind of always been there sure. for, for someone my age. Um, and I'm not trying to, to specify that social media is only for the younger crowd, but I do know people who are either very much against it or they don't think it's relevant to their business and they can do it the old fashioned way. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I, I'm 41, so I, I remember what the world without social media. Um, <laughs> but I also think know the, the world with social media. It's I'm I'm, I'm kind of that weird Oregon yeah. Trail uh, generation uh, age. Here's what I always tell people: social media is a tool, and it doesn't matter if you're 24, 44, 64. Social media, digital communication is simply a tool. Mm-hmm. All the different platforms are simply tools. The way to approach it is: can this tool help me get better at something in my business? Can it actually help achieve a goal? It would be, I I would imagine if you're working with a client and you're an organizer, you don't just walk in and say, hey, you need to have these shelves, you need to have these, this type of organization uh, system over here, you need to do this here, just do it. You'd say, well, what are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to organize? Oh, you've got kids and you've got a bunch of shoes around, okay, let's try something like this. Or you have a home office, let's do something like this. In the same way, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, they only work well if they fit within what you're trying to do. And so I think that that question or discussion in your mind is a place to start. And then you fill it in. Then you're like, oh, I should be on Twitter more or you know, LinkedIn. And by the way, you should look at your LinkedIn profile at least once a quarter. Uh, I actually have a reminder to pop up. To, and again, I, I use mine all the time, but it's still to remind me, hey, just go look through it, do a quick audit. But all the other stuff, if, if it can help and be honest with yourself, hey, it actually would be great if I was on Facebook a little bit more engaged in a few more communities and then just create a system around it. So that's what I suggest to people. Should people join just to join and have an account even if they're not active or do you suggest? No. Yeah, okay. Explain. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think an inactive account is looks awful. Um, the, and again, I'm a little biased here, but I think that every professional needs to have a robust LinkedIn profile. Even if you're not active as, as far as posting on LinkedIn, it's got to be current. It's got to be like that is, if I search your name and your city, your LinkedIn profile will be one of the first hits. And I will go to it and I will make a judgment on you based on what I find there. That's just the truth. So we want to make sure that we look good in that setting. Everything beyond that, I tell people, make sure that uh, it's, um, it's relevant to your business goals. I'm not on Instagram. Never have, I think I was on for a day and then was like, uh, my, my prospects and clients aren't here. I don't like taking pictures. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> sure. And I actually don't use a lot of, uh, lot of Facebook for business, kind of, but not a lot. But again, it's what fits with what I'm trying to do. But if you're not, uh, if you're not going to be active, just don't even be on in the first place. And that's okay. Right. But you should be active somewhere online. Yes? Yeah, I think so. I think there's very, unless you've just got so much business and you're so busy <laughs> right. that all of your wildest dreams are already coming true, it's kind of foolish not to be somewhere because there's opportunities. It's a place to engage and to connect. And so- 
yeah, I think it's, it's worthwhile being somewhere. Right. So besides social media, besides networking events, what are some other sales practices we should be practicing as businesses in 2018? So uh, again, how many hours do we have? <laughs> um, I, I think I, I think an important thing, especially for um, let really look at the the solopreneurs, the small business owners. I, I know people like me, you, so many of us out there. I think it's really relevant um, to put some sort of outreach plan into your your schedule. And what I mean by that is booking like an hour or two in the week where you actually do some outreach make some phone calls. Uh, that's super powerful. Um, not as many people do pick up their phone, but when they do, especially like if they already are in your network, you'll have really good conversations with them. Um, I think it's always about honing. You can always be honing your, um, your quote unquote value proposition. And I find that that comes from really talking to prospects, talking to clients, figuring out what their pain points really are and making sure that you're connecting what you do with solving those challenges. Um, and that, that will evolve over time. And so always being up to date with that. Uh, the, the other thing that I think is, is really relevant, uh, especially from a, a networking uh, selling point of view, is, is identifying maybe 10 to 20 people who you already have in your network. And if you can't come up with this number, maybe it's time to go to some events and find them. But find 10 or 20 people that you do want to get to know a little bit better. And maybe... Uh, schedule in having uh, two or three conversations over the course of the year with them, um, which are, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee, having lunch, even if it's just a phone call if they're not local. But uh, that's something that I've done in my career where I've got people that I'll see like once a quarter or, you know, every four or five months. And um, we might not have any direct um, business opportunities, but we do talk business. We get to know each other. We get to like each other. They're, uh, my, my wife calls them um, friants, where they're like friends slash clients. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> right? Because like, I'll be going to lunch or you know, even having a happy hour here in Chicago. And I'm like, well, it's kind of business, but you know, I've known them for 10 years. You know? so, um, but really cool opportunities tend to, to shoot out of that when you at least expect it. But it's, it's about putting the time in up front to invest. And I think that the biggest thing from a sales point of view is as we move out of a linear sales model, just understanding that, hey, I, like a, a farmer goes to, to his or her field and plants the seeds and waters them and fertilizes them, and it takes months until you have a reward. Mm -hmm. We have to approach sales the same way where it's like, how do I keep investing in the relationships I have, finding opportunities, again, pitching them when it's appropriate, and you know, really looking at this as a long-term play so that I can be successful now, but that I'm even going to be more successful six months, a year, five years, 10 years down the line. So important to remember it's a long-term investment. A lot of us, I feel, uh, get discouraged or frustrated for not seeing those results come up right away. But I agree with you. And I, and I, and I do see it happening, you know, with my, with colleagues and even in my own business. So, but it just takes time. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly right. The world doesn't work on your schedule, unfortunately. Correct. Correct. So at the end of every podcast, I always ask my guests to leave us with two sticky notes, something that our listeners can put on their office wall that uh, include two big impact next step items that they can implement into their business this week, preferably, maybe even this month, but two big steps they can take to improve their sales tactics. What would you leave us with there? Probably the next two steps. Sure. Uh, the first I would say is Look at your existing network, look at five people, find five people that you would like to know a little bit better, send an email, say, hey, can we grab coffee, lunch, or a phone call in the next few weeks? So just find five people you want to know a little bit better, send them a quick message. By the way, they will say yes, right? Because we, we were flattered when somebody says, I'd love to spend some time with you, find out more what's going on in your world. Um, right. The second thing I would say, we talked about it, do a quick LinkedIn profile audit at a minimum or online audit at, at, if you can. And when I mean audit, just literally go to your Google yourself based on what you find. Ask yourself, if I knew nothing about me, would I want to do business with me? And if the answer is anything less than a resounding yes, start putting a little time into that and, and, and looking to improve that. 
that those are great steps and those are something that easy we can do this week. So where can our listeners find out more about you or hang out with you on the web? Where do you hang out? <laughs> yeah. So uh, my uh, online home is an easy place to find me. Uh, if you go to davidjpfisher.com slash podcast slash napo, there's a landing page specifically for all the cool people listening. Uh, you can get some uh, some free information on how to network more effectively, uh, get some free chapters of the books, all kinds of good stuff there. Wow, great. Uh, but uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash imdfish, I-A-M-D-F-I-S-H. Uh, Twitter, dfishrockstar. Uh, I do have a podcast called Beer, Beats, and Business. And uh, yeah, those, you know, if you stick around any of those places long enough, I'll, I'll show up. <laughs> That's wonderful. And I love that you've created this uh, this resource for our, just our listeners, just for the Naples listeners of, the, of this podcast. So we really appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, listeners. So as always, I'm going to ask you, what can you do today or this week to make a change in your business? Uh, David left us with two great next steps. Um, I even love his networking tips. I really do. I mean, how simple is that? Just say hi to five people and make it about them. And already the pressure is off. And I think that's going to help us just launch those those relationships and that long-term investing that we know that we're in for as, as business owners. So um, thank you so much for hanging out with me and for learning with me. If you like this podcast, if you're able to walk away with information, inspiration, uh, something valuable, please leave us a review and hit that subscribe button because we want to reach as many organizing and productivity professionals as possible. So in addition to subscribing and leaving us a review, please feel free to share this and every episode with your colleagues, your team, or perhaps a friend who is interested in this industry. Again, I thank you and I look forward to hanging out with you next time and I'll talk to you then. That's all for this episode of Stand Out, brought to you by the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to learn more about our educational offerings, our local chapters, and both certification and certificate opportunities. Don't miss an episode as we help you build the business you've always dreamed of owning. 